Welcome to the podcast of Life Church in Houston, Texas. We are so glad that you are joining us today. We hope that this message inspires your week, builds your faith, and ultimately brings you closer to Christ. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the podcast. I'm going to tell you up front, I have an objective today. I've got an objective for this message, and my objective is to get you to take your next step. And today, the opportunity that you have for your next step is to get in a small group. Get in a group. This is our small group uh, Sunday. This is the time of the year where we launch our spring semester. If you're new to Life Church, you don't know what small groups are. Twice a year, we have what we call our small group semester. We do one in the spring and we do one in the fall. And this is all it is. It's a 12-week uh, semester and it's an opportunity for you to jump in and get the right people in your life. We have all kinds of different groups. We've got groups for men, for women, for young adults, activity-based groups, or we just have groups where uh, you can get together and hang out. And, and I know a lot of people might think or might be intimidated about jumping into a small group uh, at a church, maybe where you don't know a lot of people, and you might have the idea of, well, if I jump into this small group, we're just going to sit around and tell all of our deep, dark secrets to each other. And that's what it is. No, I'm joking. You know, you might have this idea that being in a small group means you're going to have an intense Bible study for, for 12 weeks. And listen, let me, let me just stop right here. There's nothing wrong with doing an intense Bible study. Don't be intimidated by that. Because I know some of you will stay up till 2 in the morning reading about your horoscope and buy all the Enneagram books you can find and read those. But you won't read the Bible. You won't study the Bible. Yes, I woke up this morning and chose violence, Okay. I'm just saying, don't be intimidated by those things. But this is the best thing that small groups offer. Regardless of what kind of group you join, if you do join an activity-based group or if you join a group for, to get connected with the young adults here at Life Church, whatever it is, the most important thing about Life Church or about uh, the small groups at Life Church are the relationships that you form. It's the relationships that happen. In those 12 weeks, you're gonna meet some of the friends that you'll have for the rest of your life. I guarantee, because that's, that's my story. That's my experience. And we're living in a time when our relationships are more important than ever before. Wouldn't you agree? All of you who have lived through the last year and a half of COVID and shutdowns and social distancing, and you can't go do this, and you can't go see these people, and you can't have these things, you can't, can't have these events. We're living at a time when our personal relationships and friendships are more important than ever before. And I'm going to say it this way, healthy relationships. Having healthy relationships are more important than ever before because healthy relationships will keep you encouraged. Healthy relationships keep you safe. They keep you connected. They keep you focused and they keep you well. Healthy relationships will keep you well mentally. They'll help keep you well spiritually. And small groups, like I said, is so much more than something that you attend and mark off an attendance and check a box off. It's a place where you go and you get the right people in your life. And this is a, it's a biblical model. What we do here with our small groups, this is based off of things we see in scripture. When you look at the book of Acts, which is in the New Testament. When you look at the first church, that early church in the first days after Jesus ascended and poured out his spirit, that model that the early church used was that they would meet together like, like we are this morning. They would meet together in a large setting and, and in their day they would meet in the temple courts. 
They would sing together. They would praise together. They would worship together. They might have a preacher get up and preach to the large congregation. But then the Bible tells us in the book of Acts, they were also meeting together house to house. This is what they were doing. They were living life together. They weren't just bumping into each other one time a week for a worship service, smiling at the person that you maybe have seen a few times, waving and then going on their own way, not being connected through the week, not being connected through the difficult times, not being connected through the struggles, not being connected through the trials. They did life together. They went to each other's homes and they broke bread together. They told each other the burdens they were carrying. And that's our goal is to replicate that kind of relationship within our church family and relationships within the church body because the truth is we need each other. We need each other. The Bible is full of stories with uh, people who are dealing with loneliness. And, and I'll just pause right here and say this. Like I, I know this is that you can be surrounded by people like you are today. And many of you, maybe this is you right now. You can be in an environment where you're surrounded with people and still you feel lonely. Maybe you've been coming for several weeks to Life Church and the people are, people are nice to you, they greet you, they shake your hand, they smile at you, they'll have small talk with you, you sit in service, you enjoy it, but deep down you still feel lonely. And it's because you haven't had those real connections, those life-changing relationships yet. That's why we do small groups, because we don't want anybody to walk in this place and not have the opportunity to have real, meaningful, and lasting friendships, healthy relationships. You shouldn't, you shouldn't be in this place, or you shouldn't be at Friendswood every week, surrounded by hundreds of people feeling lonely every week. You shouldn't. This, this, this is a place where you can find your family. This is a place where you can find your forever friends. This is the place where you're gonna find the people that can help make a difference in your life by walking through life's difficulties with you. And really, this is, this is not anything new. I can tell you this is the oldest problem for mankind. When you look in the Bible, a lot of people think the Bible is just God dealing with sin and how God has dealt with sin. But actually, when you look the very first story, when you look at the very first problem that man encounters, it's not sin. Long before Adam and Eve fell into sin and, and ate the forbidden fruit, the first problem that man experienced was loneliness. God created Adam, and then in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, it says, the Lord said, it's not good for man to be alone. Well, if it's not good, then what is it? It's bad. It's a bad thing for man to be alone. The first problem the Bible addresses is not sin, it's loneliness. In Ecclesiastes chapter four, verse eight, it says this, there was a man who was all alone. He had neither son nor brother. This man had nobody. There was no end to his toil, so he was a hard worker. Maybe he had a business. He's a hard worker, he had a lot of things, he had a lot of success, but it goes on to say his eyes were not content with his wealth. Let me just break it down for you. This guy had a lot. He was wealthy. He was rich. He was taken care of, but he was not satisfied. He wasn't satisfied because he didn't have anyone in his life. He didn't have any healthy relationships in his life. And we need those right people. We need each other. And that's what I'm saying today is that it's God's plan for us to do life together. And I want to look in scripture this morning, and I want to give you an example 
I want to give you an example of someone in Scripture who, at different times throughout this story, you'll see that he's isolated or he's not around the right people, and then we're going to see how he winds up with the right people in his life. And, and there's a lot that we can learn from the story of King David. King David, this story I'm about to share with you is an example of how damaging loneliness and isolation and withdrawal from the right people can be. It can lead to a very bad and unhealthy place. Let's start reading in 2 Samuel. And I think this mic is cutting in and out, so if somebody can get me that handheld, I'll switch over. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1, starts out by saying this. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David was the king, right? So time of year, David's supposed to be going off to war. David's supposed to be doing his job as the king, it says, in the spring at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab, one of his generals, he sent Joab in his place. He sent him with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, a city, but David remained in Jerusalem. This was a time when David was supposed to be out there leading. Thank you. Appreciate it. There we go. That better? This is a time of the year when David was supposed to be out there as king, leading his military, leading his men, doing things for the benefit of his nation, but instead of doing the things that he was supposed to do, David withdraws. David remained in Jerusalem. David isolated himself. And it doesn't tell us why King David. I mean, when you look at King David in scripture, he's, in, he's incredible. He's a hero of faith. He's one of the giants of faith. And actually, he's a giant killer. Many of you, if you're new to church, maybe you don't know who King David is, but you've heard of the story of David and Goliath. This is that David, that same David who, who could pin such beautiful poems and songs to God. This is King David who God said of him, this is a man after my own heart. He's a warrior. He's a king. He's a poet. This guy, he can do it all. But instead of going and doing what he was supposed to do as king, he stayed in Jerusalem. And we don't know why, but he was human. So we can speculate that maybe David was feeling burnt out. Maybe David was feeling physically and mentally and emotionally exhausted. Shoot, maybe David just didn't want to leave his palace, his comfort zone. He didn't want to leave his couch. He didn't want to leave his bed. He didn't want to leave Netflix, right? He didn't want to leave the amenities that he had for himself. Maybe King David was depressed at this time. For whatever reason, he decided to isolate himself. King David decided to withdraw and not be where he should have been, and he stayed home. When you look at this story, you see that everybody else, everyone else is doing what they were supposed to do. Joab, all the men in the military, all the generals, all the captains, all the soldiers, everyone else is going with the, the flow of life. They're doing the things they're supposed to do. They're growing, they're pursuing their purpose, they're fulfilling their purpose, they're with each other, except for David. And because of this withdrawal, and because of this isolation, it led to the greatest failure of David's life. A lot of us that have been around church for a while, you know the story I'm about to tell of King David's greatest moral failure. But can I tell you, it starts right here. This is already part of the failure. It wasn't the failure because he acted on what he saw. It started right here when he withdrew himself from being surrounded by the people he should have been with. 
2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 2 and 4. David's withdrawn. He's by himself. All of his men, his captains, his generals, his inner circle. Can, pause before we read that. I'm going to tell you. He had an inner circle, by the way, King David. In Scripture, they're called the mighty men. That sounds, sounds legit, right? The mighty men. D David's mighty men. These are his elite warriors. They're his generals. They're his captains. This is his inner circle. They've been with him through some tough times. They've gone through tough times together. They were with David when King Saul was hunting David and they were sleeping in caves, hiding. I mean, this is his crew. Those guys are out away fighting. All of those guys are doing what they're supposed to do. David's not with those guys. Verse two says this. One evening, David got up from his bed. All right, so he's just laying around alone, isolated. And he walked around on the roof of his palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. And he had an opportunity at this point to look away, to turn away, to go away, and to not give it a second thought, and to not give it his attention, and not let his mind be given over to that imagination. It says the woman was very beautiful, and David didn't stop with just looking. It says David sent someone to find out about her. The man that he sent comes back and says, he's got the... He's got the lowdown on her. He's got her name, knows where she lives, knows who her dad is, knows who her husband is. She is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Here's what you need to know about Uriah. Uriah was one of David's mighty men. That inner circle I was talking about, David's crew, his most trusted, loyal, the people he put his confidence in, the people that went through the struggles and the battles with him, Uriah was one of those men. So David's not with those men. And now David's looking at one of their wives. Verse four, it says, David sent messengers to get her. She came to him and he slept with her. Now let me summarize this, this story for you. This woman Bathsheba, like I said, she's married to Uriah, one of David's mighty men. After David sleeps with Bathsheba, she becomes pregnant. And in an effort to cover up his sin, David calls for Uriah to come back from the battlefield and tries to coerce him, tries to trick him, tries to manipulate him so that he would go home to be with his wife so that David's sin could be covered up so nobody would know his mistake. But Uriah gets there and Uriah is so devoted to his purpose. Uriah is so devoted to his cause. Uriah is so devoted to wanting to be in the place that he knew he was supposed to be. He knew he was supposed to be on the battlefield, surrounded by his friends, surrounded by his fellow soldiers, fighting for Israel, and out of devotion to his purpose, he says, I can't go home while my friends are out there sleeping and fighting, and he sleeps on the streets. It says he sleeps on the door of the, by the door of the palace, and he won't even go home. So David is so furious about this, worried that his sin is about to be found out, David actually, this amazing, righteous King David, this hero of faith, issues orders and orchestrates this whole plan for Uriah to go back, be on the front lines, and for him to be abandoned in battle so that he would for sure die. And that's what happens. The people follow King David's orders. They abandon Uriah on the battlefield. This man dies in battle, along with many other men who shouldn't have died, all because of David's scheme and David marries Bathsheba and thinks everything's good. Everything's good. Nobody knows my mistake. Nobody knows my problem. Nobody knows what I did. I can hide this. I can keep it covered up and it's all gonna be okay. 
This is what I want to get into with this story. The first thing I want you to realize, let's start at the beginning. The very first thing that King David did was that he withdrew from people. He was isolated from people. He wasn't just isolated from people. Let me be specific. David withdrew from the people he should have been with. David was isolated from the people that he should have been with. He was alone. And this is what we need to know. This is what you need to know, myself included. When we're alone, when we're not in relationships with people, when we don't have those life-giving, challenging relationships with good people that hold us accountable and challenge us, alone we are unguarded. When you're alone, you are unguarded from the attacks of the enemy. When you're alone, you are unguarded from the attacks and the struggles and the troubles of life. When you're alone, you're gonna walk through depression by yourself. When you're alone, you're gonna walk through sickness by yourself. When you're alone, you're gonna walk through anxiety by yourself. When you're alone, you're gonna face temptation from the enemy by yourself. When you're alone, you're unguarded. David was alone, no one was there, no one was watching his back. No one was there holding him accountable. No one was there encouraging him to be better. Nobody was challenging him. Don't you know there's some people that you just, you can get around and just by being around them, you feel challenged to be better, right? Pastor Tito and Pastor Andrew and Josh, and when I'm around these guys that I work with, guess what? When I'm in the room with them, I am challenged to be on my A game. There's certain people in my life, my fellow friends who pastor churches or whatever, when I'm around them, I'm challenged to be better. Now, when I isolate myself from those kinds of people and I'm alone, guess what? I don't, I'm gonna do what I want. I, I don't have that same feeling of being held to a certain standard. I don't have that same feeling of being held accountable by someone. I don't have that same feeling of, of being challenged by those around me to be better and to fulfill my purpose and to be all the things that God wants me to be. When we're isolated, we become easy prey for the enemy. I want you to think about how a pack of wolves hunts. Do they go for the biggest, strongest in the pack that's surrounded by the rest of the herd? Or do they look for the one that is alone? They look for the sick one. They look for the slow one. They look for the one that doesn't have any friends around them. And that's the one they take down. Just watch, you don't, you don't have to do this. I'm sure y'all are like, but go, go watch a pack of lions or a pack of wolves and watch the way they hunt. They're looking for the one that's alone and isolated. And if you're isolated, you're alone and you don't have the right people in your life and you don't have the right friendships in your life, you have just done 90% of the devil's job for him. Hear me now. When you are isolated and you think you can go it alone and you never have to share your burden with anybody, you never have to open up to anyone and you can remain closed in and never really have some close friends in your life that are gonna walk through life with you, you've just done 90% of the devil's job for him. Because the Bible says he's walking around, stalking like a roaring lion, looking for who he can devour. And I don't think the imagery of him being like a lion is a mistake because like a lion, he's looking for the one that's alone. He's looking for the one that he can jump on this by himself that doesn't have friends that are gonna jump, jump in and fight back. If we're alone, we're unguarded. We all need somebody that's watching out for us. We all need somebody that's watching our back, especially on our spiritual journey, especially on your walk of faith. 
especially those that friends with, especially as you're going through this journey of faith, especially as you're walking, trying to follow Jesus, trying to become the person that God has called you to be, you can't go alone. It's not God's plan for you to carry pain alone. It's not God's plan for you to hide your shame from others. It's not God's plan for you to deal with hurts and to walk by hundreds of people on Sunday and don't feel connected to anybody. This is what Galatians chapter two, verse six says, carry each other's burdens. That's the way you fulfill the law of Christ. I think so many times we can get bent out of shape trying to figure out exactly all the things that we need to do as Christians to, to be the person that God wants us to be and, and we gotta dress a certain way and act a certain way and talk a certain way and we can't do this and we can't do this and we can't do this but we better do that and we better do that and we better do that. And it says, if you wanna fulfill the law of Christ, carry each other's burdens. Care for each other. Be there for each other. Love one another. Give to each other. Serve each other. That's God's purpose for your life. The life that he created you to live. The greatest life that any of us could ever live is a life that's filled with real life-giving relationships with other people. So first we see that David chose to be alone. We see in this story that David chose to withdraw himself and isolate himself and not have any good relationships in his life. And we see that he makes a mistake. He does something that he shouldn't have done. There was no one there that was gonna hold him accountable. There was no one there that was gonna give him some good advice. I mean, could you imagine if he was with his mighty men on the rooftop doing what he was doing, saying what he was saying? Excuse me, king, you know this is Uriah's wife. Excuse me, king, but what are you thinking right now? What are you doing right now? This is not how you are supposed to behave. This is not something that you should be doing but instead he was by himself. And, and then the next part of that story we see after David is alone and after he gives into this temptation, after he gives into this sin, then he gets some people around him, right? So he goes from being alone, then he's got some people that are around him and, and then uh, we discover that those people that David decides to go to are not the people that are gonna hold him accountable. They're not the people that are gonna challenge him. They're not the people that are gonna make him better. The people that he goes to are the wrong people. And this is what we need to understand. With the wrong people in your life, you're in danger. If you have the wrong people in your life, if you are surrounded by the wrong kind of people, you are in danger. Why? Because look at what these people did for David. The people he decided to surround himself with helped him sin. These people that he went to in that time when he should have been challenged to be better, in a time when he should have, should have known better and done the right thing, instead he decides to go to the people that are enabling him to sin. These people David goes to, they get all of our information. They even bring this woman to David. They are encouraging and enabling his, his sin. They're encouraging and enabling this unhealthy behavior. They're, they're encouraging and enabling these unhealthy decisions. And maybe you have been coming to Life Church or maybe even this morning you're thinking, I don't need a small group. I don't need all this because I've got my friends. Maybe you should evaluate some of those friendships in your life. This is always a touchy subject, I know. 
Because I know, I know, I know there's people in this church that you have yet to make those real life-giving friendships within the church because you're really comfortable with the group of friends that you already have. You're really comfortable with the group of friends that you grew up with and that you cut up with, that you ran around with, that you got in trouble with. And it's hard to cut ties. And I'm not standing up here saying you have to cut ties, all right? I don't want you to go text all your friends right now like, man, pastor said, I can't hang out with you no more. <laughs> nope, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is you might need to evaluate some of the friendships you have. I'm talking about this inner circle of people in your life. Evaluate your inner circle. Ask yourself this, do they help me do the right things or do they pull me to do the wrong things? And if your inner circle is, they pull me to do the wrong thing, they pull me to do the wrong thing, they pull me to do the wrong thing, you're in the wrong circle. Here's a better way. This is more of a churchy way to ask this question, okay? All the church people, y'all ready for this? You can ask it like this. Do the people in my inner circle help me live a righteous life or do they encourage me to do sinful things? I have friends I grew up with since I was a kid. I love them to death. Communicate with them weekly. They're not living the way they should. And they're not the loudest voices in my life. I love hanging out with them. I love having fun with them. I love playing video games and going to eat with them or whatever. I love being with my crew that I've known for 30 years. I love it. But they can't be the loudest voices in my life when they're not going the same direction that I'm going. Now, I, I hope and I pray and it's my desire that someday the life I live now will be enough of a testimony to them that they'll change and that they'll give their lives to God. Amen. But if I don't have some louder voices in my life, I'm gonna wind up falling back in line with the wrong crowd. As Christ followers, our inner circle, if you're someone who is a Christ follower, if you're someone who's a believer in Jesus and you, you call yourself a disciple of Christ and you're trying to follow Jesus and live the life that God has for you, then your inner circle, the loudest voices speaking into your life need to look like this. Stable, consistent, happy, godly people who are also pursuing Christ and who are gonna help you pursue Christ. That's what your inner circle needs to look like. And I'm not saying, like I said, I'm not saying to cut people out not saying to cut, cut out Joe, who you've been in kin since kindergarten, you've been his friend. And I'm not saying to cut these people out. What I'm saying is maybe set some boundaries, right? Set some healthy boundaries. Maybe instead of going to the bar with Joe at 10 PM, you say, man, let's eat for, let's meet for lunch instead, right? Maybe instead of going over to that same place, when you walk in, it's got that smell and hazy feeling, right? Maybe say, man, why don't you come over to my house today, right? Instead of always hanging out with the same three people that wanna gossip and tear down others and complain about everything, why don't you get around some godly people that are gonna talk about how good God is and all the things that are going on in the kingdom of God, amen. What does your inner circle look like? I love it because the Bible gets really plain with this in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20. And uh, I've used this translation, particularly this good news, Bible translation a lot. And y'all that are gonna be faithful here at Life Church for many years to come, you're gonna hear this at least twice a year, this translation right here. You see what it says? Keep company with the wise, you will become wise. I don't know about you, I wanna be wise, right? I don't wanna be a fool, I wanna be wise. If you make friends with stupid people, 
Some of you got stupid friends. Maybe you're sitting there, I don't have stupid friends. You are the stupid friend. Was that too far? I'm sorry. Hey, you want your life to go bad? You want your life to be full of problems? You want your life to be full of issues? Hang around some stupid people. I'm just trying to make it plain for you this morning. If you want to be wise, if you want to have a good life, you want to have consistent friends, you want to have reliable people, you want to have people that speak life into you and challenge you and help guide you and make you stronger and better, you got to find those people. Amen. With the right people, we are protected. So alone, you're unguarded. David was alone. He was unguarded. He didn't have anybody watching his back for this temptation he was about to face and these stupid decisions he was about to make. And so he fell into sin. And then he went and he got with the wrong people and with the wrong people, he was in danger. Why? Because they were bringing that sin right to his doorstep. But if you have the right people in your life, you're protected. If you have the right people in your life, friends would, you're protected. Because the right people are gonna have your back. The right people are gonna watch out for you. And here's a good one. The right people are gonna pray for you and pray with you. Amen. The right people will challenge you. Maybe the problem is that a lot of us don't like to be challenged. You need to get over that real quick. You need to let go of that pride real quick. Our pastor led a devotion with the staff the other day and Josh, you're back there, but somebody else from staff, you might have to help me remember it. But I'm pretty sure it was in Proverbs. And the scripture says, you can trust the wounds from a friend, right? Is that what it says? Or wounds from a friend can be trusted. Basically what that says is if you have a friend that you love and you're committed to and you know that they love you, well, when they come to you and they challenge you with something and they tell you, hey man, that way you just did that was really dumb. Hey man, you should not be treating your wife and kids that way. Hey man, you have a responsibility to do this and you didn't do it. Now, the person that's real prideful is gonna say, I can't believe you just challenged me that way. Pfft, we're done. But the wounds of a friend can be trusted. You need people in your life that are gonna challenge you and hold you to a higher standard. Now, I'm not talking about holding you to some unrealistic standard, but holding you to the standard of what God is calling you to do and the life that God is calling you to live. You need friends in your, in your life, the right people that are gonna stretch you spiritually. Not the people that are texting you, asking you to come out and get into all sorts of nonsense, but the people that are saying, why don't you come over to my house on Wednesday and we'll do a Bible study together. Hey man, how can I pray with you this week? Hey man, I know you just had this, this devastating news about your sickness. I want you to know I'm here for you. I'm praying for you every day. I'm gonna bring you food. If you need somebody to go pick up your kids, I got you. That's the kind of people you need in your life. People that propel us to be all that God wants us to be. And in this story of this amazing man, King David, we see him in a mess. We see him in trouble. We see him in sin. We see him living a life that he was not destined and born and called to live. And he got there by being alone and he got there by going to the wrong people. And this story doesn't resolve, this story doesn't finish until 
David has the right person come into his life. He's living his life. He's married to Bathsheba, this woman that was Uriah's wife. She's pregnant. He thinks everything's fine. Nobody knows. I've covered up my sin. I can continue living the way that I want. And then the prophet Nathan walks in to David's room. You can read, Nathan tells this story. He's kind of little cloak and dagger thing. Nathan tells this story to get David very outraged at a certain situation. And David says, this story is about you. You are the man, David. You are the one that is with sin. You are the one that has done this terrible thing. And Nathan calls David to repentance. Nathan says, David, what you just did was wrong. What you did displeased God. You need to repent. That's how the story ends is David is convicted of his sin. He's confronted with this. He's convicted. He asks for forgiveness. Now he still has to pay for some cons the consequences of his sin. If you wanna read in that, 2 Samuel, you wanna read that story, you can see all the consequences that David has to pay because of his sin. And it's not God punishing him, it's the consequences of sin. I think many times we go through life we can get mad at church and mad at God because of all these things going wrong in our life. But this is what you need to know. God is gonna forgive us of our sin and ultimately God has paid the price eternally of sin. But when we mess up and we make mistakes, there's consequences in this life. There's pain, there's hurt, there's shame, there's regret, there's depression, there's anxiety, there's broken relationships, there's financial problems as a result of sin. You know how all of those things can heal and become better is when you allow the right people into your life. Because in that moment, David needed Nathan. And Nathan came in swinging. Nathan came in saying, David, you're a fool, man. What you just did was wrong. You need to repent. And David allowed the right person to speak into his life. And that's how he came through the other side, forgiven, redeemed and restored to the man that God had called him to be. He needed the right person in his life. If you don't have a Nathan in your life that's gonna walk in and say, you're doing this thing wrong, you're living this way and you know it's wrong, you shouldn't be doing this, you need to be doing that, out of love, out of challenging you to be better, you need somebody like that. Amen. The Apostle Paul talks about in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, this is what he says. All of you together, everybody say together. All of you together are Christ's bo Christ body and each of you, everybody say each of you, are a part of it. All of us together are Christ's body and each of us is a part of it. He goes on, he says, the human body has many parts, but they all make up one body. My hand is nothing without my arm and my arm is nothing without my shoulder. My shoulder's connected here to my chest and my neck and it holds my head and it has my brain, it has my eyes and my feet get me where I need to go but my feet need my legs, need my hips. Just like you need each other. Just like we need each other. Just like as the body of Christ, if we're gonna fulfill God's purpose in our lives and if we're gonna fulfill God's purpose in the greater Houston area and if we're gonna fulfill God's purpose in the Philippines and wherever else God decides to bless us with influence and ability, if we're gonna do that, we have to do it together. Amen.
God can do so much more in you and through you if you're surrounded by the right people. Why don't you stand with me this morning? This is a place at Life Church where you can find community, you can find healing, you can find protection, you can find strength, encouragement, freedom, and this is how it happens, relationships. I'm not trying to discount the power of God. I'm not trying to discredit an experience you would have in the altar or through baptism and through surrendering your life to Christ, being filled with the Spirit. But there's a reason that God's design is for us to be in community with each other. It's because so much of his purpose is tied to the relationships that we have with each other. So today, you have the opportunity to surround yourself with the right people. If you have a smartphone, why don't you go ahead and take it out? We're ending service a little bit differently today, by the way. A lot, usually we have an altar call, we have our prayer team, but say we're ending a little bit differently. You have a smartphone. This is how easy it is right now to get the right people in your life. Go to life.cc slash small groups. Life.cc slash small groups. And right there, you're going to see on our website all the opportunities. Friends, you can do the same thing. You're going to see all the opportunities you have for all the small groups that are happening here at Life Church. Now, if you don't have a smartphone or you need help, we've got teams in both campuses, in the lobbies, at the Next Step Center, and then here in Houston, all throughout the lobby, the small group leaders are here. There's people at Friendswood that can help you. If you just have questions or you don't have that capability, you can go to one of them and say, hey, I wanna join this group, I need help, how can I do that? And somebody's gonna help you sign up. And look, if you don't know which one to join, join four of them and show up and figure out which one you like the best. And we're not, we're not gonna knock you in the head if you decide to quit the other three. If you show up and you realize you've joined the Crazy Cat Lady small group, that's a, that's a running joke here, guys. I've changed my policy now to be a small group leader. I used to say you can't have cats if you wanna be a small group leader. You can have one cat. If you got more than one cat, you just can't, all right? That's a joke, come on, I'm joking. Um, but you guys, this is the opportunity where you have to find the group that's right for you. If, you're, if you are a man, if you are, it doesn't matter what age, if you're a man 18 up, you need to be at that movie that we're showing, or that we're going to together on the 11th, next Saturday. It's coming up this, this coming Saturday, September 11th. We're going to watch a movie together called Show Me the Father. We've rented the whole auditorium. It's just gonna be us. And actually we're going to breakfast together beforehand. Now because of the restrictions or whatever, we could only do 30 tickets, okay? So if you want a spot, you have to sign up there on our events page. But listen, as soon as you do that, that's an opportunity, men, for you to get the right men in your life. Ladies, there's groups for ladies there. Young adults, Pastor Tito's leading another freedom small group. Man, join it. Even if you went through the last one, join it. Get in the group that's right for you. And while I'm, while I'm on this soapbox about joining groups, if you are the parent of a high school student, get, get your student to impact youth service. Get them there. And I'm not trying to, I really don't, I'm not trying to be too aggressive right now. Okay, I'm trying to say this in a very loving way. School is important, extracurricular activities are important, all that stuff is important. Nothing is more important for them being around other young people that are pursuing Christ, that are pursuing God. So every, every Wednesday night, we have stuff going on for our, our youth, uh, high school age kids. They're gonna start meeting in this building right here. 
So I'm encouraging, if you have a high school student, get them plugged in, get that information. Let me wrap this up. I've kept you too long, you've been standing now. Let me read a few more uh, verses for you. This is just to show you how important and how serious God is about having the right relationships in your life. Let's read Ecclesiastes chapter four. It says this, two people are better than one. They help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other person can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is what? In real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. How can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and what? Conquer. Three are even better for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. Guess what? If three is better than two, four is better than three, and five is better than four, six is better than five, and so on and so on, right? Proverbs 27, 17. As iron sharpens iron, a friend sharpens a friend. You know what? When iron is sharpening iron, it's not a pleasant thing. It's a dangerous thing. There's some conflict involved, but if you have a friend in your life that you allow to sharpen you, it's gonna lead to an amazing life. James 5, 16. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can be what? Healed. God is going to forgive you of your sins. Every time you ask for forgiveness, he's going to forgive you of your sin. But if you want to find healing from your past and you want to find healing from this shame and the burden and the weights that you're carrying, you got to get a friend in your life that you can say, man, this is what I'm dealing with. This is what I'm struggling with. And I just need to lean on you right now. Matthew 18 and 20. For where two or three, oh, this is the best this is the best promise right here. Where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm among them, Jesus said. That's why you need the right people. Because the crew you've been hanging with, they're not gathering in Jesus' name. Come on. Get the people in your life that when you get together, you know, despite what you're doing, you might be goofing off and having a fun time and eating food or whatever, but you know every single person there is going in one direction, going in the same direction, following after Jesus. Amen. How many of you want the blessings of God in your life? Every hand should be up for that. I want the blessings of God in my life. I don't deserve it, but I want it. Is that selfish to say? No, I want God to bless me. I want his favor. I want the influence that he's going to give me. The greatest avenue for God's blessings to flow into your life and the greatest avenue for you to have spiritual growth is through the right relationships. I'm going to pray for you. And then when we're dismissed, I want you to don't leave this room. If you have a smartphone, don't leave the room until you sign up for a group. If you need help, go in the lobby, find a small group leader, go to the Next Step Center at Friendswood. You can do the same thing at the Next Step Center there in the lobby. Today's next step is for you to join a small group and get the right people in your life. Amen. Father, we thank you so much for your spirit that we felt in this place. We thank you so much for the joy and the peace that we feel always when we lift your name up and when you inhabit those praises, the peace and love and joy that we feel. We thank you for that, Lord. And we thank you for the opportunity that we have to join together as a church family, as a church body, as brothers and sisters in Christ and walk through life together and share each other's burdens together, Lord. We're gonna do that today. We're gonna take that next step. We're gonna get the right people in our lives so that we can start living the way that you've called us to live and doing the things that you've called us to do as a church family. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen, amen. Join a group.